morning. Can you hear me? I'm Judy, and I'm going to read the, the verses today. Um, I'm reading from Acts 12, 1 to 25. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute him, them. He had James, the brother John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, Suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda, came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and explained, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is a voice of a God, not of a man. 
Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with, jo- taking with them John, also called Mark. Thank you. From my end too, if you're visiting with us, especially today, it's great to have you. I, well, Dana and I, my family, and I had lunch about a couple of weeks ago with Laura and Andrew Cowan. And of course, we, we had to go for a stroll through the, the garden uh, after lunch because they got this fantastic vegetable garden. And the thing that really stood out to me most was, was their pumpkin plants, of which there were numerous in this garden, and, and this is a fine section of it here this morning um, that, that's on display. And I kind of want to work with this idea of this pumpkin plant this morning because in the reading that we saw, we're seeing some things about how God's church grows. And I want to kind of draw an analogy between how you might see the same things true of a plant that grows. Some things that a plant needs to grow. Some things that I can only assume was true in in, in Laura and Andrew's pumpkin plants as they grew. There's six things to be sort of precise, and I, I don't know if we'll even make our way through all six. We'll see how we go. But there's some quite important ones that I want to, that I think God wants to show us this morning. To, to change our expectations of what would it look like for, I might call it the, the, the pathway pumpkin, <laughs> to, to, to grow. If, if, if it's going to grow, if it's going to continue to grow, what might we expect? Well, what, what, what might we need to say, hey, this is kind of what we ought to do if, if this plant of which you are a part is, is going to grow. What does it look like? A number of things that will come out. So, so let's jump in. I'll, I'll start with the first one. Suffering and hardship. You know, plants, many plants, perhaps even these pumpkin plants, we, we know that they they don't do well un- unless, at times, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of this sort of a thing happening, right? It's, it's hurtful. It's, it's painful. The church and the mission of God, somehow, for some reason, and I'm going to be the first to acknowledge the deep mystery that surrounds this, uh, has always known hardship. The church won't grow without hardship. The answers to the questions about, Bianca lifted it out when, when she prayed, and I'll talk about it more too in a minute, 
why, why Peter was released in the story, but James. It's a one-liner in that first part of the passage where this Herod, who's an opposer of the church, an opposer of God, takes the life of this man. It's just, he had James put to death with a sword. But we imagine, don't we, the, the implications of that. This was a father to some children. This was a brother. This was a husband. All of that. And, and yet, somehow, in, 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 in the designs of, of, of God, with the knowledge that only he possesses, the power to one day restore all that and make it up, that only he possesses, this is part of what it looks like for the church to grow. There's a wonderful story in um, one of the early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria. He writes about this whole putting to death of James and, and he perhaps answers to us one of the questions of why did God allow this to happen? Here's what he says. He says, one of the people who dobbed on James, because they were dobbers, right, who, who Christianity was illegal, this was persecution days, and the authorities had to find these people who did these illegal activities. And they, they were dobbers. Clement of Alexandria tells us that the, the guy who dobbed James in, <laughs> after his prosecution and sentencing, uh, said this to them. Uh, on the way to their execution, he, this is the dobber, asked James for forgiveness. James looked at him and said, peace be to you, and kissed him. So both were beheaded at the same time. See what happened there? I don't know how it happens. I don't know why, how God decides to work these things, but this guy, according to Clement of Alexandria, in that moment, realising that James is going to stand before those authorities and say, no, I'm not giving up on Jesus. I'm not saying no. I'm hanging in. Such was the power, such was the effect, such was the, <laughs> the striking force of that, that, that this guy goes, well... All right then, me too. <laughs> and he gets executed at the same time. We see this all the time in history. I, I, I trust that you see it in your own life too. How in some way, in the ways only God is in possession of, he, he uses hardship, he uses suffering, he uses difficulty to draw out of it growth. Growth out of you as an individual growth for his church as a group. And I believe he'll do the same for us. This will be part of what it means for, for, for this church, for any church, to continue to grow. We ought to expect it. We ought to identify it. Um, and we ought to turn to God as he shapes us and grows us through it. So, so that's the first thing. We, 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 we see that this is part of the picture. It's part of how the plan grows. Number two, prayer. I'm no good gardener. Actually, I'm getting there with a few things, but, but I can't garden without, without help. I need the step-by-step -step veggie patch 
foolproof growing for gardeners with little space and little knowledge for that matter. <laughs> if my plants are going to thrive, I need often help from authority and power beyond that which I possess. It's a bit of a trivial analogy to what happened here in this story, but I want to spend a fair bit of time on this one. Did you notice that the response to James's execution and Peter's imprisonment is what did the church do? They prayed. Peter was kept in prison, but, and it's, it was supposed to see a sharp contrast, Peter's put in prison, but, but, you know, that's bad, Peter got put in prison, but the church earnestly was praying to God for him. Let me just tease a couple of nuanced things out of that, that line. Here's what's unique about their prayer meeting. They, they went to a place physically to pray. It wasn't a generic, everyone please pray sometime, somewhere. That's okay, that's cool, Christians have to do this, but not this. This was a, let's get together in a particular time, a particular place, and we're going to pray for this particular thing. The purpose of their gathering was to pray. <laughs> the church prays a lot, but quite often our prayers, and rightly so, are things attached to other things. We, we pray at the end of a meeting. We pray at the beginning of a meal. I would even argue we pray in parts of this service. But, but it's probably arguably fair to say that very few of our meetings revolve around prayer as the sole and only purpose. Prayer is the business of the meeting. That was, that was the case here. Prayer was the meeting. Another thing that's very interesting about this particular prayer meeting is the leaders weren't there. You notice that Peter comes up after he's been released, he goes, go and get... James, who is not the James who was executed, another James, becomes this prominent leader of the Jerusalem church where all this takes place. They're not at that prayer meeting. Who's praying? You know, there are no ordinary Christians, but, but it's not the elders and the leaders and the apostles. It's the rank and file. It's the every member who rocked up for a prayer meeting. And all that transpires in this that we'll look into next that comes out of what God is doing transpires out of the prayers of his ordinary people who gathered for the purpose of prayer and prayer only in a particular place and a particular time. It is insanely powerful. I think this, this is a very, very powerful thing that God shows us in this text about how his church grows. Because the outcome of this whole event, and I'm going to apply it to us in a minute, is, is what happens as a result of their prayers? Well, we heard the story. <laughs> the fact is that God, God acted. It's a bit strange in the story how you get the sense that they were praying to God for Peter, it said, 
<laughs> but when Peter actually rocked up, <laughs> they didn't believe that he's there. <laughs> Which says to us, I think it's a very human thing, isn't it? We, we, we pray for things. You, I pray for things. And I, and I would say to myself, I believe that God can and will do this. But when it does happen in those times where those prayers get answered, I'm still feeling that, wow, God has acted beyond my expectations. I've seen things happen. I've, I've heard stories or, or, or we've seen events or outcomes that we simply cannot attribute to anything other than the fact that God has worked. That there has been an act of God and God's supernatural, loving and all-powerful intervention in the affairs of our lives and of the life, our life as a church. That's one reason why the people of God should pray. Pray in that particular way. This isn't mentioned in the text, but, but I'm quite sure that the church also prayed for James. James was not freed. Maybe that's why they were surprised when Peter was. But I do believe that Part of their prayer meeting was also to find comfort. To deal with their grief. To be encouraged at the time of hardship and of difficulty. Nothing encourages like prayer. Nothing fills with hope and confidence and boldness than prayer. Nothing. I believe that that's happened. I'm speculating a bit here, but I think that was part of that prayer meeting. It wasn't just for Peter. It was also for themselves. To deal with the hurt of James. How did they do it? Prayer. Now, let me just... I forgot about the pumpkin planter, and then I'll apply it to us. This is so true of what we see in some plants, don't we? The irony of the Cowan's pumpkin plants, as I understood it, is they haven't actually planted a single one. <laughs> that just pops up, you know, out of the scars. And we see that sometimes with other plants like, you know, potatoes and those things too, isn't it? This is how the church grows. It just pops up. It, it, just, it just happens. Most of the fruit, most of the success, most of what any church ever would say this is what has been good about us that we celebrate, that we've been successful in, we in some ways had nothing to do with. It sort of just was given to us. It sort of just happened. Just happened. But it's noteworthy to say we were very serious about prayer. And that sort of coincided with this popping up of plants and fruit all over the place. Turning this to us, I... Pathway to Life is a church that I personally believe, and this is the church that I stepped into, it was here already when I arrived, certainly, who has a past and a history of whom I think praying in this particular way is true. I think the reason why we're here, I think the reason why we've, we can celebrate anything good that has happened in recent years it's because of this and this only. I think the greatest risk 
for the future of pathway to life is that this ends. I think the greatest and most powerful thing that we're meant to see in this text that, that, that I personally feel God is showing us is, is <laughs> this is how the church grows. This is how the church deals with its hardships. It's when it prays. It's when it gathers for the purpose specifically and particularly to pray, not just by and through its leaders, but by its body. So we do that in three ways. Be remiss of me not to bring those up. We have, well, we do and we can do it in three ways as I see it. Let me be very practical. We, Pathway has three, at the moment, designated prayer meetings on 6.30am on Zoom. You just click on the link in the newsletter. 6am, sorry, 6am. Is God awake then? 6 a.m., oh my goodness. Okay, 6 a.m., so Thursday morning, 6 a.m., on Zoom, the, the link is in the newsletter. Half an hour, you know, it's a strong purpose. You've got to get out of, well, you don't have to get out of bed, but you've got to get up, and you've got to dial in. You've got to show up. Pray for half an hour. I think 6.30, that same morning, there's a physical prayer meeting in Latrobe. 7 o'clock, oh my goodness, I really should have... Seven o'clock in Latrobe, there's another one. Yes. And then, let me see if I get this one right. Ten o'clock that same morning on Thursday, there's another one here in, in this office. Physically, it's not 11 o'clock. <laughs> I prayed for almost two hours this Thursday because uh, we started at 10 and then some others rocked up at 11 and we kept praying. But they're there. We want more. This is all on a Thursday. Unfortunately, just it works like that at the moment. But, but if there are other times, spaces, places, um, we often talk about these prayer meetings, but I don't think we often talk about how critical they are in the economy of the church. They are. They really are. Next way in which we engage with this would be what we did on Friday night at Pathway Shed. Um, we would hope to do this Regularly, I don't know what regularly looks like. We're thinking about it. But I can tell you now, this, this is significant. Out of Friday night, I'm confident, I'm hopeful. <laughs> Everything that's true about why the church should pray in my experience was there on that Friday night. If you want to experience pathway, you'll experience it in the prayer meetings more than anywhere else. And I encourage us all, I encourage us all on this point that we would, as we roll these out, whether they happen monthly or quarterly, please, prioritise them. Absolutely do. I am 100% convinced that this is what we'll see if we pray. Third way in which we can engage with this, and we will keep working with this, I want to still take this to our leadership team and, and work with this, Reality is that some people can't make a Friday night at a shed, at least only one of two parents can make it because you've got kids, um, it's Friday night, all that sort of stuff. The other place where we need to, I think, grow and tap into what it means to pray in this way is right here on a Sunday morning. You know, we're gathering. 
a definition of what the church is, in, 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 in my understanding, is very much a gathering of God's people for the purposes of sacrifice, which is the Lord's Supper. We, 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 we always remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Secondly, for the Word. We want to hear from God. That's why we open the Bible. That's why we preach. That's why we do all those things. And thirdly, prayer. We do pray on Sundays. But I wonder if at least on occasion we can bring prayer into the centre of what we're doing. Not just by delegate, delegated people or leadership, but, but that is the purpose of that Sunday's gathering. I think we can. I think we should. And I, I pray to God that we would. Because I, like you, I think all want to see the plant grow. <laughs> see God work in ways and continue to work in ways so vastly beyond our expectation. In fact, the whole story of Pathway Shed is a result of prayer, that kind of prayer, and more. So let's just carry on with that. That's the plea, I think. This is what we, what we see from the book of Acts, that we would just keep ca- carrying on down that road, not drop that ball. just want to address the issue for some of you who have heard over the years. You say, well, I don't, I don't do prayer in groups. It's too confronting. I don't want to speak in front of people. You don't have to. You don't have to. There are many people there on Friday night who didn't say a word, and yet the echoes of their prayers were loud in the throne room of God. We vote with our feet, we often say. We also pray with our feet. Just coming, just logging into the Zoom meeting would Speak volumes into praying already. You don't have to pray. Let alone, say on Friday night anyway, we prayed a lot through song. We can pray by reading set prayers together as God's people, enabling each other to pray. So I don't want to hear as we deal with this sort of, I don't pray out loud, so therefore I don't come. Please, um, come. Uh, You still will be immensely blessed yourself as an individual. Uh, and as a church, the pumpkin will keep growing this way. All right, that's number three. I'm going to work through four, five, six pretty quickly. Um, you know what else I think about the, we see about the growth of this plant that is the church in this little story? I think we see authenticity. <laughs> it's a bit of a funny story, isn't it? Peter rocks up at this house where they're all gathered to pray. He knocks on the door and this servant girl, Rhoda, opens the door. And I don't know about you, but I have this comical idea in my mind of she looks at him and goes, oh, and slams the door shut and runs through the ground and goes, Peter's at the door and they go, you're crazy. And he's just <laughs> standing outside the building and, and, and she goes back and, and, and others come and they go, it actually is him, you know, and they, they are astonished and so it goes. You have to ask yourself the question, why put that in the story at all? It's such a bizarre way of this, for this thing to go down. I, th- I think it's pretty simple. I, I think, and I'd speak to you here if you doubt the whole authenticity of this event. You can't be persuaded that it's true. But there are some clues, I think, that I hope would at least get you to think about its truth, that this really happened. And here it is. The people who wrote it 
never made an attempt to try and make it sound all glory and flash. <laughs> it's a bit funny, but sounds a bit ridiculous. That's how it happened. This little girl named Rhoda made it into it. The resurrection accounts of Jesus. None of those are written really to try and persuade or manipulate facts. They're just told as they happened. Strange as they are, weird as they are, this is how it happened. <laughs> it happened with this servant girl, with this funny episode. There's no manipulation. There's no trying to show that this was sort of, you know, some unearthly occurrence. It had real people with real surprises, real confusion, even real comedy, if you like. It was authentic. It happened. All right? And that's how the church grows, too. Number five, godly leadership. Notice that Peter tells people, tells the people there, tell James. This is this James is the half brother of Jesus. He became an elder in the Jerusalem church. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. We see Peter featuring again in Acts chapter 15, later in the story. But this story finishes that he he goes off and we don't really know where he goes. We don't really know what he does. He's effectively gone out of the story. We know from history, much later on, he faces a similar fate. He gets martyred for his faith. But he's really gone. There's something interesting, I think, that we see here about how leaders in God's church ought to be. Worldly leaders clamour for legacy, for platform, for prestige. This is how politics work. This is what goes on in Eastern Europe works. Not the church's leaders. They disappear into humble, selfless, unknown obscurity. He's gone. We don't hear from him again. God knows where he was in those years. No doubt he was used powerfully. But that's it. He serves and he dies. Leaders, this is how we ought to be. Followers, these are the leaders who we ought to follow. The type of leaders who we ought to grow and cultivate. Servant leaders. You can say so much more about it, but, but I think it's just worth pointing it out. This is where we see Peter for the last time. Another note on leadership that comes out. If you're new to church, forgive me if this is all a bit jargonish. Um, the church makes no effort to replace James as an apostle. Right? No more apostles. From time to time you hear in the church people who come along, I'm an apostle, God has showed me this and this and this. End of the world's going to be now and then because I'm an apostle. Rubbish. It's not true. No efforts made here to replace them. The conditions and the qualifications for apostles is that you knew Jesus directly, a connection with him, 
Paul is unusual in how he experienced that. And it's these men through whom God writes to us the Bible that you now have. That's the connection. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. They were not replaced. From here on in, the church works on elders. Tell James, who's an elder. This is how God intends to resource and lead his church. I personally believe, biblically speaking, from here on in. So we're going to vote on elders this afternoon. Keep that in the back of your mind, that from now on in the history and in the story of the church, eldership takes an incredible place in the leadership of the church. Quite weighty, quite prominent, and very instructive, I think, for how we lead ourselves, guide ourselves, govern ourselves as Christians in the church from that point on. Pray for our elders. Pray for your elders as you do, and and thank you for the way that you do continually. All right, godly leadership. Judgment, this is where we'll finish. I won't major on this. Um, What a contrast that that story finishes with. (laughs) James died. Herod died. But the word of God continued to spread. God will not be opposed. God will not be overcome by any level of opposition. I'm probably not speaking to the right people here, but I'll say it anyway. You may wrestle with what happens in the life of your spouse who's being drawn to Jesus, who's growing, who's become a Christian. You may hate it. You may oppose it. You will not stop it. You may hate what's happening in the life of your child as a non-Christian because you hate what it's doing. You will not stop it. In fact, consider that you consider the God who's at work, who wants to call you, who wants to put you into that plant. (laughs) He is unstoppable. He will not be stopped by you, by anyone else. And I think that's sort of where the the force of of the biblical story becomes quite heavy, quite weighty. Of course, judgment is a heavy theme. There will be a final judgment at the end of human history. But it seems, at least in the case of Herod, along the way, God is also going to execute judgments here and there. Right? Let's be mindful of that. Let's know that the God who we deal with is a God who's not going to refrain from executing good and just judgment in his good time. Instead, again, turn to him, come to him, reach out to him while he may be found. And for yourself, respond to the wonderful things that we've said all throughout this whole series. All the mercies, all the blessings, all the joy, all the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. They are yours on offer, free in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I'm praying now a prayer that I guess is an add-on, but still, Lord, 
we do recognize that you are listening. And so I pray, Lord, that you would shape us as your church to grow in and through and exactly perhaps the same means as the church in Jerusalem did. Lord, where in your good judgment we must face hardship individually and together, Lord, may we do so boldly, faithfully like James did. May the effects be similar to what happened to his denunciator. Father, may we pray. Pray that you would guide our leadership to know how to enable our church to pray, to place it in the right place of our priorities. I pray that we would, as a church, grow in this. Step into the purpose and the power of prayer. I pray that in years to come, that if we were to be asked, what is the one thing that you as a church succeeded in, because that's the language we use, that we would say we prayed. That's it. Lord God, I pray that you would work vastly beyond our expectations. (laughs) I pray that testimonies will be forthcoming. I pray that provisions will be made so far beyond what we could control or foresee. I pray that change in us would be so deep and so marked that it's beyond dispute. I pray that we would know unity that just defies all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of logic or circumstances or situations. Lord, I pray. In fact, I believe we pray. Do you pray for our leadership. Lord God, would you continue to raise and grow and fill and humble our leaders. Lord, I pray for those who struggle with the authenticity of your church and of your actions and your existence. Would you grant them faith? May they see you and may they see how we represent you as no pretense, no fabrication, nothing, just plain, pure, simple. This is what we believe. This is what God's done. This is who he is. And lastly, Father, I do pray that you would withhold judgment for the sake of those whom you're calling to belong to you, to have a full encounter with you, a full experience of you, And Lord, we do thank you in some way that you care enough to be a judge. That such is your love for justice and to restore to all those who've been oppressed what's been taken from them, that you will recover it, restore it. And we may look forward to a world that is just, pure, 
and perfect. This we bring, all of it to you, in longing expectation that we as a church would be a vine that would grow authentically and rightly. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, music team.